Uh, hello and welcome. We are in, gosh, I guess it'd be our seventh or eighth week in a series on communication, communicating his story, Let's Talk. And we'll probably be in this for maybe one more week, and then we're going to move on to something else. Uh, we may do a couple of random, I don't know, things between now and then, but we'll see how that sorts out as we go. But today, let's talk about the rich young ruler. And we're going to read from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 25. If you'd like to follow along, you know, open your Bible, open your phone, whatever you want to do, or you can just sit and listen. I'm quite happy to just read it to you. So Matthew 19, verses 16 through 25, this is what they say. It said, now one came and said to him, good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life? He replied to him, why do you call me good? There is one who is good. But if you had entered life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these have I kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you that it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Um, very familiar passage. Uh, a lot of people have read this, heard it, um, you know, whether they're Christian or not, it's not necessarily an unfamiliar passage for a lot of people, but in the beginning of this chapter, just to give some context on it, Jesus has had another interaction with the Pharisees and this one was about divorce and divorce was a very controversial topic, um, during that time as, as it has been throughout history. And at the time, there were those who believed that a man could divorce his wife for any reason he wanted to. And then there, were, uh, there was another school of thought that was uh, along the lines of that a man could only divorce his wife or the only reason for divorce was infidelity. And there were two well-known rabbis at the time who came down on both sides of the issue. And you can see that Throughout history, there's been a lot of theological issues like that, where there's well-known uh, teachers on you know different sides of the issue. Um, so that's nothing new. It's been going on for a very long time. But the Pharisees coming to Jesus to speak with him about divorce was another attempt by them to divide people against him. And we've seen the same basic scenario play out several times before when they came to him and you know asked him if they should pay tax to Caesar or not. The idea was, is if they could divide people against him, they could uh, lessen his influence or minimize it. And they wanted to do that because Jesus was having a profound impact on the people of his day. And if they thought they could get him to specifically come down on one side of the issue or the other in regards to divorce, they could divide people against him. And you can go back and read 
that for yourself and see how it all goes if you'd like to do that. And I certainly would encourage you to do that. But what we're concentrating on and what we see in the passage we just read is that Jesus had an impact on a young man. Um, The things he said, the way he taught, uh, caught this young man's attention in such a way that he obviously thought, well, I need to go talk to this guy. And when he comes to Jesus, he seems to be genuinely concerned about what's right and what's good and what God actually wants from him. And the things Jesus said about divorce apparently resonated with him in such a way that he believes Jesus obviously knows what he's talking about. And he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life? And the man Jesus is communicating with is often referred to as the rich young ruler. And I'd like to paint a picture of who this guy is to just help us get a better grip on the interaction between him and Jesus. And we need a few things uh, to do that, to piece this together, because Matthew doesn't give us a lot of detail about who he is. He does say he's young, um, and that generally in the culture means someone between the ages of 20 and 40. In Jewish culture, it's uh, that's very likely going to put him over 30 because the book of Luke calls him a ruler, which probably means that he was some kind of official in the local synagogue. And people weren't really considered adults in that culture until they were over 30. From what we gather, he is a young, wealthy, religious official. Uh, He's successful, and that success would require that at some point, some older men had put their confidence in him. And that would say to me that he's likable, he's moral, he's hardworking, he's an all-around good good guy, and there's no reason to believe that when he comes to Jesus, he's being deceptive like the Pharisees often were. And that's you know a bit subjective on my part, but it seems really does seem to be the case. And when he heard Jesus speak, he obviously had the wisdom and lack of personal pride to go to Jesus thinking, maybe this guy knows something I don't. And that's a great trait to have for any of us is just thinking maybe this person knows something I don't. And he seems to be what most people would call a good person. And he's asking Jesus an honest question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And I think he genuinely cares about that. I think he genuinely cares about doing the right thing. He wants to know what's good. He wants to know uh, how to be right with God. So he asked Jesus, what do I need to do? You're good. You seem to know what you're doing and and what you're talking about. What good thing do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And it seems that maybe he feels some kind of personal inadequacy, but he's unsure why that is uh, because he's obviously successful. He's obviously works hard. He's made something of himself, himself, but there's, there's something that he feels is obviously missing. And the way Jesus answers his question tends to pose some difficulties. And this is what he says. He says, why do you call me good? There is one who is good. In the other gospels, it's recorded as, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. And what Jesus says, uh, it can sound a little confusing. And what makes this and some other passages in the Bible confusing or sometimes more controversial than they really need to be is that we lose things sometimes in translation between language and culture. 
And to help clarify it a bit, it might be better understood as Jesus saying something like, you know, why are you ask me, asking me concerning what is good? There's only one who determines that, and that is God. So when Jesus responds the way he does, he's referring to the standard that determines what is good, which is determined by whom, and that's by God. So Jesus is speaking to a good person about the meaning of the word good, but is he really good? Because by his own standard, the man who comes to Jesus would consider himself good, a good person. Um, And I also think his community would have considered him a good person. There are a lot of people like that. A lot of people we would consider good people. They're trying to do good things. But are they considered good by the one who decides what is good? And that can be kind of confusing. And the fact is, is that we all call some people good. People often refer to themselves as good. I'm a good person. I know a lot of people who I would say they're good people. They're great people. And the rich young ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life? In answer to his question, Jesus tells this young ruler, rich young ruler, to keep the commandments, which is a standard God has set for what is good. And there's tension between what people say is good and what God says is good. And we say that a lot lot in our culture. And there are some places where what God says is good and what people say are good. There are places where those things meet up and they come together and they dovetail, and also where they don't. And the rich young ruler is feeling that tension. And he asked Jesus, which commandments do I need to keep? And Jesus answers, Um, These are pretty familiar sounding commandments that are part of the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20 says, the young man said to him, all these have I kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And the young man answers, you know, I've done all that. And there, there doesn't seem to be any reason to doubt what he says. Jesus doesn't correct him. He's being honest when he says, yeah, I've done all of those things. And I think the young man is being genuine. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I don't think he's being prideful. He asked Jesus, what do I still lack? You know, what am I missing? And that question says something about him. He's kept all these commandments, but he feels like for some reason, that's not enough. And he's facing a paradox. He's kept all these commandments. He's done all these good things. He's lived a good life. He's done well. He's been successful. He's worked hard. He's well-respected. But something still makes him feel anxious. There's something missing. And in his mind, he sees good as something that is quantitative, like a series of things that someone does that build up to goodness, a certain quantity of good works. He doesn't see goodness as something that is qualitative measured as a quality, like the nature of God or the standard of God. And when I I put these words in my notes, the uh, quantitative and and qualitative, I thought, oh, I'm giving myself a bit of a tongue twister there. So bear with me as I say these words. There's a difference between uh, a quantitative and qualitative view of what is good, which is what Jesus is bringing into the open when he says, why do you ask me concerning what is good? There's only one good, that is God. There's one standard. The rich young man doesn't understand that. 
but he knows something isn't right and he's anxious about it. And what he's anxious about is his understanding of what is good. So he asked Jesus, what do I still lack? You know, I've done all these other commandments. I've got this pile of good things I've done. What am I missing? And if I didn't know the story already, it seems the next logical thing Jesus would say would be, you need me. You need to understand why I'm here. You need to put your trust in me. But he doesn't say that. He says, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the Bible uses the word perfect, you can generally also understand it as complete. It's the same meaning. Jesus is telling this guy, if you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, get to the poor and come follow me. Um, so the word complete or perfect, it's, it's kind of like a completed project. There's, you know, when something's complete or perfect, there's nothing more that needs to be done. It's complete. You know, when you've been working on something for a long time and you step back and you look at it and you say, perfect, that's the idea. And the young man says, I've done all these good things. Uh, he's thinking, I'm doing good. I've done a great quantity of good things throughout my life and always have. I've got this you know, stack of, of great stuff that I've done. What am I missing? Because I know there's something missing. I can feel it. And Jesus says to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And that almost sounds like Jesus is agreeing with the rich young ruler's view of what is good. Like it's a quantity of good things you have to do to have eternal life a works-based religion, which is what most religions and spiritual people and even not so spiritual people think. Well, you know, what do you need to do to go to heaven? Or what do you need to do to be right with God or accepted by God? And they'd say, well, I, I need to be a good person. And what that means usually when someone says that is I do a quantity of good things. There's a, there's a, a list of good things I've done, a stack of good things I've done that add up to me being good and right with God. That's quantitative good. Is Jesus saying that if this man sells what he has and gives it to the poor, he will inherit eternal life? No, he's not saying that. What he says is if you're going to be perfect, you have this yet to do. Now, why does he tell him that? We, we know good and well. You know, if you listen to me speak, if you're familiar with Bible teaching, it's not a quantity of good things that allow us to have eternal life. That's just a super foundational, basic Christian teaching. What Jesus is, is pointing out to this rich young ruler is his real problem. His real problem is that he views good as a quantity rather than a quality a quantity of things that he does instead of a quality that he possesses, which is the way most people do it if we really dig into it and think about it. Um, but Jesus pinpoints the thing that shows the rich young ruler that's wrong, his wealth. He has a lot of it. Uh, he doesn't want to give it up. He's covetous and wealth as his idol. He does all these other great things, but if you put them all in a pile, there isn't enough quantity to reach God's standard of what is good. And then what happens next is really sad. 
we talked about the woman at the well, and she actually went away from her conversation with Jesus excited and telling people, you know, come see this man who uh, knows everything about me. But look at what happens with the rich young ruler when Jesus tells him, you know, sell, sell what you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. Verse 22 says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He went away grieving. He was sad. Because what Jesus told him he needed to be perfect was too much for him to do. He thought, I can't do that. I can't reach that standard. He's a smart guy. His wealth was his idol, yes. Um, He relies on it for security, no doubt. And as believers, those things are things that we need to work through and repent of in our lives. But the rich young ruler is not a believer yet. And fixing those problems is not going to gain him eternal life. You see, that's quantitative good. What he needs first and foremost is salvation. And then he can work through that other stuff. What we really need to recognize here is that the rich young ruler views good as quantitative, which most people do. He's a successful and smart young man, and he's grieved because of what Jesus says to him. He's he's sorrowful. And he recognizes that I can never do enough good to reach God's standard of good. And that's the paradox of quantitative-based goodness. There's always something more to do. It's never, ever enough. And I wouldn't be surprised if people have read this passage before and it's caused someone to walk away grieved and make an attempt to live in a monastery or take a vow of poverty or or who knows what, whatever. I'm sure it's influenced people in that way, but all that does is compound the problem by attempting to build a larger quantity of good deeds. And when someone says, I am a good person, they're standing beside what is likely a large quantity of good things they've done, a pile of of good stuff. And looking at those good things and saying, I'm a good person, but they're actually separate from the things they do. The things they do and them as a person are two separate things. And there's nothing wrong with recognizing that someone does a lot of good things, whether they're a believer or not. There are a lot of people in the world who do a lot of good things. And it's okay to recognize that. And that's good. And a lot of people benefit from that. And we appreciate that. And it may even be a believer who's really good and keeping God's commands And God's commands are good. Let's not sell any of that short. But God doesn't determine goodness by looking at the quantity of good things you've done. He looks at you. To understand what Jesus is getting at, instead of looking at the quantity of good things we have done, we should shift our focus to ourselves and say, Am I good? Not what have I done is that good, but am I good? Do I possess the quality of good? And most people, that's probably going to cause us to stop and really think about that. Or, you know, have am I a good person or have I done a large quantity of good things? Which is great, but there is a difference between those two things. And that's where the rich young ruler finds tension in his life. That's the paradox he's facing. 
And the person who thinks they're a good person has probably done good, good things. I mean, there's just no denying that. There's a lot of people in the world who have done many good things, and it's okay to recognize that. But they often have a quantitative view of good. Whereas inheriting or having eternal life by God's standard requires a quality of being good or being right with God. Uh, righteousness, the Bible calls it righteousness, not just what it is to do good, but what it is to be good. And we can do good things and we should strive for that. We really should. Every one of us, especially Christians, should strive to do good, but that's outside action. What on the inside? makes me good. That's where we find the answer to having eternal life. And if you're a good person, what standard are you using to determine that? Is it quantitative or is it qualitative? If it's a quantitative standard, the, the problem with that is there's, there's always more good to do. There's always more to be done. It never, ever stops. It'll never be complete and it'll never be perfect and you can't reach God's perfect standard of good through a quantity of good things that you do. It doesn't work like that. And it will ultimately lead, lead to grief. Like the rich young ruler, he walks away from Jesus. He's grieved. He's sorrowful. And so back to what Jesus said to the rich young ruler in the first place. He said, why are you asking me concerning what is good? There's only one good that is God. No one has the complete ability to decide what is good or achieve what is good except God. And Jesus tells a rich young ruler to sell all he has, give it to the poor, and then come follow him. And that's too much. And the fact is, is for every one of us, there's always something that is too much. There's always something lacking in the quantity of the good things we do in our own efforts to be righteous. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you that it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the good deed of giving what he had to the poor was too much for the rich young ruler. That was um, more quantity than he was able to accomplish. And there's always something like that. There's always something that is too much for anyone. And the rich young ruler probably didn't even know that that was his too much until Jesus told him. And wealth can certainly trip you up, you know, if it's your idol, but something else and what we really can learn from this passage is the difference between a quantitative view of good versus a qualitative view of what it means to be good. Uh, doing good things versus being good. Verse 24 and 25 say this. It says, and again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard this, they were greatly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? And when Jesus says that, you know, it's easier for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to be saved, that, that worries them. Because wealthy people were viewed as having God's favor. And there's a similar proverb that can be found in different cultures. Um, there was a Babylonian one, I believe, that said, you know, it's easier 
uh, for an elephant to pass through the eye of a needle. I think there's one also, um, and even in the Quran, that's that's similar. So there's a lot of uh, different cultures, or at least a few different cultures that have a very similar proverb. But they're all saying the same thing. They're saying if you don't do enough, you're not going to make it, and that's where they stop. The problem is, is that you're never going to be able to do enough to make it. That's reality. And that was the rich young ruler's view on being good enough. That's why he went away grieving. He was, he's a smart guy. He recognizes that I'm never going to be able to do enough. And when Jesus says this, the Bible says, when his disciples heard this, they were greatly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God sets the standard for what is good. When we view that standard as being attained through doing good things, you pile up the good acts in your life, there's always something more to do. There's always something lacking in our own efforts to have eternal life. It's impossible to attain that. But what did Jesus say? He said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So a standard that bases what is good on quantity is an impossible way to have eternal life. Even though those are good works, those are good deeds, they are good things. And someone may have done many, many good things, but that's an impossible way to have eternal life. It'll never work. It will never be enough. But God's standard for having eternal life is not based on quantity, but the quality of good itself, righteousness. And fortunately for us, God imparts that quality through the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus is enough. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, that's when it was made complete. That's when it was made perfect. Doing good things is good. And we should definitely do all the good that we're capable of, but not as a means to achieve the quality of good because they can't add up to that, not to God's standard. But with God, all things are possible. And he has made a way to have eternal life through Jesus. When you repent of sin, stop relying on your own good works and rely on the righteousness of Jesus. And I hope you found that helpful. And if you have, maybe share it with a friend. And I hope to be able to speak to you again soon. And I'll be praying for you and hope you just have an awesome day. Talk to you again soon.